So praise God, I want you to open your Bibles today to the book of Luke. We're going to be continuing on in our study of Luke 4, which is, uh, for our purposes, we're, we're, we're studying and, and really diving into the purpose of the anointing. I'm just going to go ahead and switch mics right now. How about that? And, and discovering the purposes of the anointing, because the anointing, as we said, has a purpose, doesn't it? Yes. It has a goal. It's not just, as we've said so many times, the anointing of God is not just to make you feel a certain feeling. It, it is to accomplish God's work on the earth. So it's important that the, the prophet Isaiah, and Jesus says it again as he reads this verse, but it's important that the, the, the prefix to all of this is the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to do something, to do this. And then he goes into the things that he's been anointed of God to do. So the anointing is the empowering of the Holy Spirit to do something, right? And so sometimes the anointing, we, we, we'll, we'll know the anointing is here to heal. And, and sometimes the anointing is there to set the captives free. And other times the anointing is there to open hearts that have been hardened and, and soften those hearts to the message of the gospel. But basically what we're saying is all of these things that we would do, when we read what Jesus did, and we say we want to be followers of Jesus. We want to do what Jesus did. We want to, we want to uh, do his, accomplish his work. We want to be disciples. Then we have to understand that God is not expecting us to do any of this in our own wisdom, in our own strength, in our own skill. But he has anointed us just like he anointed Jesus. Amen. So it's important when you read that he's anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, that you ask the question, how does it change things? How is it different preaching the gospel to the poor under the power of the anointing? When he says, I've, I've, I've sent you to proclaim release to the captives, how does it change things to proclaim release to the captives? I just thought you were going to worship the Lord at the altar. I didn't know what you were doing. <laughs> Praise the Lord. How, how does it change things to proclaim release to the captives under the power of the anointing? Because so many times we look at our strengths and we say, well, God's going to use my strengths. Well, thank God. A lot of those strengths are God-given. But God is not going to do anything just by your strength, by your power, by your skill, by your gifting. He's going to do everything. In fact, when we say gifting, all of those gifts are works of grace. And every work of grace is a work of the Spirit. So God's Spirit is on us and in us to do something. You're anointed. And you know that, right? Yes. You're anointed, and you're just as anointed as Jesus was. Because you got the same spirit he got. Yes. Right? If you have the same spirit he had, and he did everything in the power of the Holy Spirit, then you got to know you're just as anointed as Jesus was. The question is, will I surrender to the anointing of God? Will I be used? Will I allow the anointing to work through me? Will I allow the spirit of God to use me? And that's not as the world would paint it. The world would like you to think, and, and maybe even some believers would like you to think, that that means that you are no longer in control. Your, your eyes roll in the back of your head, and you just go into a trance. But that's not scriptural. Every work of the Spirit involves your will. 
You don't see anybody in the Bible that wakes up the next day and says, what did I do? Oh, you healed, you know, a bunch of people got healed. It was a great meeting. Oh, man, was I there? You were there. You don't remember it? No, I didn't do any of it. That's not what happens. Now, could God do that? Yeah, but, but scripturally, and, and, and let me tell you my own experience, it's going to involve you submitting to God. Amen. It's going invi- to involve you saying, I'm going to do this. Even, you know, I, I've got friends that it took them a while. They, they, they desired the uh, infilling of the Holy Spirit. They desired to speak in other tongues, but they struggled with it because they had in their head an idea that God was just going to smack them and start wiggling their tongue. Right? Just like, eh, and, and, and they couldn't help it. But, and, and that has happened to people. But you know, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, I will pray in the Spirit, and I will pray with my mind. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will sing with my understanding. So what he's saying is, I am choosing, there are times where I'm going to sing in, in a language I don't understand, and there's going to be times I sing in my own language. There's going to be times when I pray in a heavenly language, and there's going to be times I pray in my own language. But he says, I will. It says in Mark chapter 16, in my name, believers will speak with new tongues. In my name, believers will speak with new tongues. When he says, in my name, that means you're stepping into his authority, but you still got to do it, right? We're not talking about tongues today. Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 4. We're digging into this. Once again, setting it up. Jesus has been baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, went out into the wilderness full of the Spirit, came out of the wilderness full of the Spirit, and went into Galilee in the power of the Spirit, got up in the synagogue and began to read from Isaiah 61. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I think it's important that you understand scripturally when something is fulfilled, when he says this is being fulfilled, he doesn't mean it's finished. You get that, right? Fulfilled doesn't mean it's finished. Fulfilled means this is what he was talking about. This is coming true. So if, if, if fulfilled meant finished, then this would have been the end of Jesus' ministry right here. And he wouldn't have done anything else. For him, the fulfillment of that scripture was the beginning of his ministry. When Peter got up and said, this is the fulfillment of what Joel said. That on the la- in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my bond slaves. When he says that, he says, this is that that was spoken. This is the fulfillment of that. He's not saying it's over. He's saying this is the beginning of that. Because if you went back to that prophecy, it goes all the way into the final day of the Lord. When the moon turns to blood and all that stuff. So fulfillment doesn't mean the end. It means... This is, this is happening like it's been prophesied. This is what the prophets were talking about. And in this case, this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He said, today this has been fulfilled. Today I'm what Isaiah was prophesying about. And we said this before, but 
in Luke and, and Acts, they're meant to be read as part one and part two. In the very beginning of Acts, it says, I told you in my first account about all that Jesus began to do in his life and his ministry. And so Jesus' ministry, what we're reading right now, to the death and resurrection, to ascending to heaven, all of that was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And the continuation started in the book of Acts and is still going with us. We are still witnessing the ministry of Jesus here in 2017. So what's Jesus doing in Lloydminster? What's Jesus doing in Canada? And if you're expecting Jesus to just show up like some sort of semi-transparent ghost and go around and lay hands on people, I think you're looking for the wrong thing. Jesus can't appear. We've heard stories of Jesus appearing to people in the Middle East who had no, nobody to preach the gospel around them. But that is the exception, not the norm. Jesus has sent his people to continue his ministry. He could have sent angels. He could have done it himself. He chose you. We're a part of it. So if the ministry of Jesus is continuing, it's continuing through us, his body. Isn't that right? That's right. He said in John chapter 17, I gave you, you the word you gave me, I gave to them. Right? So we understand that, that uh, Jesus healed people with a word. Right? There were times he put his hand on them, but, but no time did he not speak to them. There were times he spoke to them and didn't touch them. There were times he touched them and spoke to them, but he always spoke to them. In fact, the Bible says, this is hearkening back to the scripture, he sent his word and he healed them. So all the healing in the New Testament, all the healing was done by the word of God. Right? And that's why things were created, because the word of God creates things. It doesn't just make you feel better. There were times where things were created out of nothing. God knows Lazarus needed something created. Because whatever killed him wasn't near as bad as what was now causing him to decompose. After four days, your body begins to break itself down, turn you back into dirt eventually. And so whatever was wrong with Lazarus that killed him was nothing compared to what his body was doing now. And with a word, Jesus brought him out. With a word, he healed them. He says, the word you gave me, I gave to them. The name you gave me, I gave to them. So Peter and John have a man healed at the gate called Beautiful. A lame man. He's been lame since birth. They say silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Grabs him by the hand, pulls him up, and the man walks. And later when they're questioned, they said, this guy wasn't healed by our own holiness. This guy wasn't healed because we were spiritual supermen. He said, this guy was healed by the name of Jesus. In other words, it had nothing to do with who we are and had everything to do with the authority that Jesus gave the believers, saying, you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So if Jesus used his hands to heal people, which at times he did, he touched them and were the body of Christ, well, thank God, his hands are part of the body. If he used his word to heal them and he gave us his word, well, we could speak his word and people are healed. So what I want to focus on today is this, this part of the scripture where he says, he sent me to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. Now, 
We certainly know that there were spiritual blind people in Jesus' day, right? He said their eyes are shut. They can't see. Seeing they do not see. Hearing they do not hear. And I think that you could say that God opened some spiritual eyes in the ministry of Jesus. But I do believe that specifically this verse right here is referring, it refers to that as well. Thank God we don't have to have either or. But I think we really need, you can't overlook and you need to focus on the fact that physically there were a ton of blind people healed in Jesus' ministry. Do you notice that? Do you ever go through the Gospels and go, where is he finding all these blind people? (laughs) He heals a lot of them. During Jesus' day, there were a lot of blind people. Now, he, he healed two types of blind people, probably more than two, but let's just break it down to two. He healed people that were born blind, and he healed people that, that could see at one point and then couldn't see. So remember the guy who said, I, I, you, know, uh, you know, I mean, well, we won't go step by step, but you remember there was a guy that, that the, the disciples said, what did this guy do? To be born blind. Did his parents sin or did he sin? As if a fetus is just the most evil thing in the world, just sinning inside the womb. That's impossible. But who sinned? And Jesus said, neither one of these guys sinned. Nobody sinned. That's not the point. But it is our human nature to try to find a human reason that something went wrong. And guys, a lot of times there is a human reason. There's certainly been a lot of things go wrong in my life that were my fault. But you notice what Jesus never says in the Gospels? He never says, why did you get sick? Do you notice that, right? He just healed people. Now, I think it'd probably be smart for us as believers if the Lord would say, you know, this is a pattern in your life and it keeps happening. Your relationships seem to hit this point and then they break down. Why does that happen? I don't know, Jesus. It's probably the devil. It might be you. And maybe it's okay sometimes to say, Lord, is there something I need to correct? Why is this happening? But what you don't need to do is take on the shame of why something bad has happened because that shame is, puts you back into a position where you are saying, it's by my own righteousness that I'm healed. It's by my own personal righteousness that I'm healed. What you, what you end up doing is saying, if I deserve to be healed, I'll be healed. And guys, not one of us deserve to be healed without the blood of Jesus being shed for us. Amen. I remember when Brother David McGrew was here and said, if you go back and you keep asking the question, what I do to get sick? He said, the enemy will probably give you 15 different answers. He's happy to oblige. And if you go back, we all probably did something, but it doesn't mean everything that went wrong went wrong because you did something wrong. And even if it did, Jesus still wants to heal you. That's right. Is that okay? Amen. Are you okay with receiving that? Can I take a burden off your back? That whether it's your fault or it's nobody's fault, Jesus still wants to heal you. Right? Or else he would have said, no, not you. You got yourself into this trouble. You did this to you. He never asked, what did you do to be sick? He just asked, do you want to be made whole? Praise God. So why are we always asking the question, why did this happen? What did we do? Listen, guys, we were born into a broken world. It's messed up. Things die. And you know who messed it up? We messed it up. Adam messed it up. And in Adam, we all sinned, and the world came under a curse. And so sometimes people are born with things that shouldn't, should be one way, and they aren't. So the man was born blind. There are times when things happen that we can't explain. And sometimes the answer is we're in a broken world that's breaking down. 
Our world is breaking down. It's under the weight of the curse. It's under the pains, of the birthing pains, groaning for the redemption of sons, groaning for the return of Christ. Things are not going well. You look around, hurricanes and volcanoes and earthquakes. The world is in trouble, but Jesus is still the Savior. Amen. So we have to understand that, that if something's broken, it doesn't mean God wanted it broken. It doesn't mean that I did something to make it broken. Sometimes things are just broken. But Jesus is still the healer. I've done things. You know, right, let, me give, let me turn the attention off me and give it to my wife. Because <laughs> I've been perfect since birth. No, I'm just kidding. Tia... Um, as a young girl, um, I, I've told you this before, but her, her mother had a, a debilitating uh, illness that, that kept her at home. She couldn't leave because if, if even the slightest scent of shampoo or lotion on someone's hands would cause her to go into such excruciating pain that she'd feel like she'd have to run screaming. Eventually, it got so bad that she was housebound, couldn't even go to church. Even though her church had a scent-free zone for her, eventually it got just so bad she couldn't even go to that, that church. Um, and she began to, to, to turn on the TV, which her pastor told her not to do because they were part of a church at the time that didn't believe in that healing stuff and didn't believe in all that other stuff. And uh, she turned on the t television, and, and there happened to be a man from her state preaching the gospel. And... And she would immediately, like a good uh, parishioner, turn the television off. And, but she'd always hear a little bit before she turned it off. And she, she began to notice that this guy was always reading from the Bible. So she said, if he's reading from the Bible all the time, what's the problem? Right? In fact, he read from the Bible more than the guy at her church read from the Bible. So why am I turning him off? So she, one day with a little bit of guilt watched a whole session. She became convinced that God could heal her, not only could heal her, but wanted to heal her. And she had grabbed onto that word and she was supernaturally healed completely. And it wasn't a long process. It was like, boom, God did it. Her husband had had hepatitis C because they had come out of a, a drug culture. They had come out of a lifestyle that, that he had contracted that. He got born again, but he was still dealing with this. At their old church, people just said, well, that's just your cross to bear. That's just what you got to deal with. So he had hepatitis C. I don't know if you know much about hepatitis C, but even if you get a little bit better, you never get rid of that disease. It's always going to be in your blood. And as they, they had gone, they left that church and went to another church because when their old church wouldn't let them tell the testimony of how she got healed. She got in trouble for telling people that God healed me. Stop doing that. So they went to a church to finally let them tell what God had done. And uh, got there. And one day, uh, the medication that David was taking stopped working. Now, I know he's listening to this podcast because he usually does. So, David, text me if I tell anything wrong. But it stopped working, and he went to the pastor, and he said, um, I don't know how to tell my wife that the medication stopped working. And I don't know how this is going to turn out. It's not good. Doctors say there's nothing else they can do. So the pastor took him. He said, come with me. And David just kind of thought the pastor was going to help him break the news to his wife. Well, the pastor got them together with his wife, and, and, and the four of them together began to pray. And David was supernaturally healed of hepatitis C. And there's not a trace of it in his blood. To this day, doctors say, we must have made a mistake. There's, there's nothing in your blood. 
and you don't just get rid of it like that. But he was supernaturally healed. So I say all that to say, well, Tia, just, just as, a, as a young girl, just got all this, just got so full of faith that God could heal her, that she had a couple of things that had been bothering her all her life, and she just said, well, I can be healed, and she was supernaturally healed. Well, we were in a meeting at Texarkana because right before we got married, Tia was moving a desk because if you know anything about my wife, when she starts, has an idea in her head, especially design, she'll move not only heaven and earth, she'll move all the furniture. And it doesn't matter how big it is, she'll still do it. And she moved a desk by herself and really hurt her back. And it was something, I remember when we were engaged, I said, can you, can you put my cell phone in your purse? She said, no, I can't. I can't have any more weight in my purse. And I thought she was joking. She said, no, it'll throw me off balance. Even that, I can't walk with it if I have just that little bit of weight in my purse. We were in a meeting with Tracy Harris in Texarkana, Arkansas. And he told a story about something that was completely his fault and how he had believed God in every other area Every other area, he believed God, that God would do the miraculous, but not that area, because that was his fault. And he said, when the Lord set him free from that, then he began to see God move in that area. Well, it became a revelation to Tia all of a sudden. For all this time, she had such faith that she could be healed in every area except for her back, because her back was her fault. Because her back was her fault, she wouldn't put her faith that God would heal it. And that's the same reason that people are still under condemnation for their own sin. It's the reason, it's the reason parents won't properly t- t- talk to their kids and, and discipline them in the ways of the Lord because they're afraid, well, they'll just go back to what I did as a teenager and say, well, why didn't you do that? And it's that sin consciousness, it's that guilt, that condemnation, that shame that keeps us as walking as sons and daughters of the King. We've got to believe in the blood of Jesus. We've got to believe in the righteousness of God, which is by faith, because when we do, then God can use you in areas he never could use you before because you resisted and said, well, it's my fault. It does not matter. If you did something wrong, repent, move on, but don't be so proud to hold on to that thing and say, this is my punishment. Jesus bore your punishment. Amen? Amen? Amen. So he never asked anybody, what'd you do wrong? One of the reasons we know, and one of the reasons I want to focus on Jesus preaching recovery of sight to the blind and why we're going to talk about the physical side of that, even though we know that, that spiritual eyes were open, I really believe that his primary statement here that I'm going to preach recovery of the sight to the blind had to do with physical blindness. In Jesus' day, and, and I started to say this earlier, we kind of got off. In Jesus' day, uh, there were a lot of people that had eye disease. In fact, in, in, in that area, there was trading going on all the way down from Egypt up through Canaan. And major trade roads of the Roman soldiers and just merchants going up and down those roads. And a lot of diseases got transmitted. During that time, Egypt was actually known as a land of the blind. And there were a couple different eye diseases that were quite common in those days. And because they didn't have antibiotics like we had, because they didn't understand some medical procedures like we had, there were people who could see and then lost their sight. So Jesus is, is face-to-face with a pandemic. So maybe it, it's a little understandable why, even though he healed the lame people and he healed, the, healed all these different types of people, why we see so many of the miracles having to do with blind people. Because this is something that was quite common in the day. Now let me tell you, nobody could convince you that your sickness was your fault better than the Pharisees. 
They were experts at it. If they had to go deep into your family genealogy, they'd do it, but they'd find a reason this is your fault. Somehow God did this to you. When John's disciples confronted Jesus, whether or not he was the one or the Messiah, in Matthew 11, and I'm going to give you about, we're going to jump through the Gospels about five or six different places. So if you can't keep up, just look at the screen, but it would be good to turn with me. In Matthew 11, I'm just going to read two verses here. They asked him, are you the one or should we look for someone else? And he says in verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now it's interesting that Jesus defends his ministry and defends the fact that he is the Messiah, proves he's the Messiah, by looking back at all of these physical manifestations of his power. And he goes back and he says, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Ask me that question again, am I the one? Because he's saying, this is exactly what I said I was going to do. And the, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. If you don't recognize it, he's hearkening back to this message that we read from, this, this message at the beginning of his ministry, that here's what I'm here to do. This scripture was talking about me. This is the ministry of the Messiah, and I'm doing it. So he says to John, tells his disciples, look around. Are the blind receiving their sight? Well, well yes. Are the lame walking? Are the deaf hearing? Are the lepers being cleansed? Are the dead being raised? And the, do the poor have the gospel preached to them? They say, yes, yes, all of that's true. He said, well, then you know who I am. And we've gone over this before, and I've said this before, but there'll be a lot of people that say that Jesus did all of those miracles. The only reason he healed people back then, 2,000 years ago, was to prove he was the Messiah. But now we have the Bible. That's what people will tell you. And I'll, I'm, I'm not going to address that all service, but I will, I will give you a couple of points on that. And we could spend a lot more time, but I don't want to. A couple points on that. Number one, there is nowhere, nowhere in the New Testament that ever says healing will pass away. Not one place. Not one. There, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, says that prophecy in tongues will one day cease. When the perfect becomes perfect. When we see face to face, when we know as we are known. Anybody here think they're perfect yet? Anybody know everything yet? When do you think all of that's going to happen? Right? It's not now. There is a day when we won't need prophecy because we'll know. There's a day when we won't need to speak in tongues because we'll speak the language of God. That day's not here yet. There is not one scripture that says healing will pass away. Not one. You say, well, well what about when the, the original apostles died? Well, you might have to explain to me how a guy like Philip, who was not an apostle, healed so many people in the area. Right? Not an apostle, healed so many people. You know, when James says, is there anyone sick among you? He doesn't say call for the apostles. Right? He says call for the elders. Listen, I don't want to believe a theology that makes me throw out my Bible. Is that okay with you? And if that's what you want, I'm sorry, but that's not going to work for me. 
I want a Bible I can read with a straight face. I want a Bible I can read and believe it. And so if I see the scripture that says believers will lay hands on the sick, then I'm going to believe that. If you want to go to a church where we don't believe the Bible, go ahead. But I believe the Bible. Now, I understand there's different interpretations. I believe we don't have everything right. But I will tell you this. I really love the Bible. I studied a lot. I can't see a loophole around this. Nor would I want to. And even if I had, I'd have to explain all the people I saw healed in my life. I have to explain how that, that guy in Mindanao, how the cloudiness in his eyes disappeared right in front of us. How a man who couldn't see a foot in front of his face, we now stood back 10 feet, held up fingers, and he told us how many we had. And I don't want to explain that away, because why would you explain the work of God away? Right? Just believe it. The second thing, the second point there, is that if Jesus was just proving he had power, he could have done anything. I've said this before, but he could have given people blindness, right? He could have given people leprosy. He could have moved mountains. He could have called fire down on, on cities. Why did he prove who he was? Yes, they were, they were signs. They did prove he was the Messiah. But why did all of his works of power make people better? Yeah. Right? Because yeah. he could have proved he was powerful by saying, watch this. See this guy? Don't you, you, we all hate this guy, right? Yeah, we don't like him. I'll kill him right now. Boom, dead. <laughs> See, I'm the Messiah. If it was just to prove he was powerful, he could have done a bunch of things. But he proved who he was because those miracles didn't just prove his power, they proved his nature. They didn't just reflect the power of God, they reflected the character of God. That Jesus wanted people well. You know, and you'll have to explain to me how it says he saw sick people and he was moved with compassion. So he healed them. He was not robotic and cold and said, I must prove that I have power. Boom. He was moved with compassion. Now, if Jesus was the image of the Father and Jesus was moved with compassion for the sick, can you believe with me that God the Father is moved with compassion? Yes. Yes. How many of you believe that there's sickness in heaven? Anybody? No, none of us believe that. How many of you believe that we'll still be able to learn stuff in heaven? I do. How's God going to teach you something if he can't make you sick? <laughs> he must have a method. I can't put my finger on it. Why did the disciples ever get sick? Well, they probably did. But why didn't we ever see? I mean, I'm sure they did. I'm sure there was a time they got up and drank water from the wrong place and said, I'm not feeling well. Right? I think they were just like us. There's days where you're fighting. I think they had some fights. But you don't say Jesus, you don't hear Jesus say, yeah, I, I thought that'd be funny if you had to live with that for a bit. <laughs> we'll move on. In Matthew 4, 23, and I'm just going to give you a lot of scripture from the Gospels. We're not, we're not going to move outside of the ministry of Jesus. We could spend another five services moving into the epistles and the, and the book of Acts. But I'm just spending all this time in the, in, in the Gospels. How many of you believe that Jesus is perfect theology? Yes. Do you believe if you, can, if you can start with Jesus, you can probably get a lot of your answers right there? Start and end with him. 
So in Matthew 4.23, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel, or literally the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. I love that he healed every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. There was nothing off off bound. And you know that there were people that were sick and, and Jesus said, you have an unclean spirit. He cast an unclean spirit and they were healed. And there were some people, it was not a spirit, they were just, he, they were just sick. And he healed them. So no matter what he did, he had the discernment to know what the issue was and address it. That was the good news of the kingdom. I want you to skip ahead to Matthew 8. In 8.14, he says this. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in the bed with fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. That's, that's, that's a good reason to heal somebody, you know. We need a waitress. Anybody see a waitress? She's sick in bed. Well, well let's go heal her. <laughs> what, a, what a woman, hey? You know that somebody sick with a fever back then might die. Now, they might, it might break just like it would with you and me, but it might be a little bit more serious than just, uh, you know, they'll get better in 24 hours. People died for things we take for granted. Well, she got better, and she got up and gave him some sandwiches. Praise the Lord. And when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were ill. Now listen to this. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Now we know in that chapter in Isaiah, it deals with a lot of spiritual issues, right? And we know when Peter talks about all that Jesus took on the cross, his main focus is spiritual stuff. And if I had to pick physical or spiritual, I'd pick spiritual every time. Because my body will die, but my spirit will remain. But Jesus isn't making you pick. The spirit is, is infinitely more worth but this tells us that the ministry of Jesus to physically heal people. We know that Isaiah was dealing, Isaiah was prophesying about, about our sins that Jesus would take on himself, about our griefs, of our sorrows. But we also know that it had physical implications because he says here, when Jesus healed the sick people, when he healed the demon-possessed people, this fulfilled the prophecy that he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Amen. So while that chapter has, speaks about your spiritual poverty, your spiritual sickness, about your spiritual death that Jesus took on the cross, it's also dealing with physical stuff because it says here, when he healed people, that fulfilled that word. I want to show you that Jesus 
did this through his ministry. And we're not going to take much more time, but I want to show you that Jesus did it himself through his ministry. But I want to show you stage by stage in three different groups of people that he gave authority to heal all who were sick. Starting with the 12. Now, it's easy for all of us to believe that Jesus could anoint the 12 to heal the sick. Because we seem to hold the 12 in a special position. Right? They're the capital A apostles. They're the big guys. There's plenty of people that will tell you when the last of the capital A apostles died, all this stuff went away. The only guy that didn't say that is Jesus. Or anybody else in the Bible. So... We're going to go to Mark 10, but I actually, we're, we're going to, if it's okay with you, I want to skip ahead a little bit. Well, no, let's, let's go to, yeah, Mark 10, verse 5. And I've got three more places in the scripture to go, and then we'll, we'll tie it all together. So you need to turn fast, folks. In Mark 10, verse 5. Well, that can't be right. <laughs> I said Mark 10.5, but that's not Mark 10.5. My goodness. There, here we go. I'm sorry, guys. Let's start with Mark 10.46. They came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd. And a beggar, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, that's why his name was Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Basically, his name is Timaeus Jr., right? The son of Timaeus was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man and said, take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. The same people that were like, shut up, shut up, shh, quiet, <laughs> sternly. You know, they, they weren't like politely telling him to be quiet, they were sternly. You're interrupting the meeting, you're bothering the master, quit it. And Jesus says, bring that man here. Oh, take courage, my friend. <laughs> take my hand. I'll take you myself. Jesus, I brought him. I brought the blind man. I saw him too. I felt compassion for him too. <laughs> He's calling for you. You know, it's, it's funny how we flip things. How many of you know Jesus is not afraid of a little interruption in his meeting if it means someone's set free? Take courage, he's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and he came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? I want you to take note of what he said. Answering him, Jesus said. Let's go over the pattern here. Jesus announces, here's what I'm here to do. When you read in the book of Luke, for instance, when Jesus says, I'm here to do this, You'll find throughout that chapter in the next one that people start coming to him and responding to his proclamation. Here's what I'm here to do. 
It says when he went village to village, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. I believe that if he preached the gospel of the kingdom, he preached a very similar message to what we read in Luke chapter 4. And every time he preached the gospel of the kingdom, what happened? It says people brought him. They're sick, they're ill, they're demon-possessed. Where do people get that idea to do that? They're not on Twitter saying this is what Jesus does. They get the idea to do that because every time he preaches, he says, here's what I'm here to do. What do they do? They respond to his word and say, okay, then we'll bring sick people to you. Then he responds to them by healing. So the pattern here is we respond to the word of God, right? God has sent his word. We respond to the word of God in faith and say, I'm coming. I want that. I need that. I believe that. And God responds to your faith. You're not telling God what to do. He's telling you what he wants to do. But it requires a response. He said, Rabboni, or master, I want to regain my sight. Verse 52, and Jesus said to them, go, your faith has made you well. Now, this isn't the only time that Jesus says this. In fact, he says it throughout the Gospels. Your faith made you well. Go, your faith made you well. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has saved you. And people have have trouble with that verse because they have trouble with the implications. God didn't, Jesus didn't say to this man, go, I like you, I'll, I'll heal you. He didn't say, go, you won the lottery, I'll heal you. He says, go, your faith made you well. One of the indications of his faith was that when everybody else was just waiting for God to do something, Jesus had already announced, here's what I'm here to do. That man responded to it. The woman with the issue of blood heard about Jesus, went out and found him. The Bible says people were pressing up against him. Everybody was pressing up against him. Why were they pressing up against him? Because they thought maybe we'll get something out of it. They're pressing up against him. But this woman says, if I will just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. When she touches the hem of his garment, he says, I felt power go out of me. He's, he's not, he doesn't have any less power, but he knows that power went out of him. And this woman thinks she's going to get in trouble, so she doesn't fess up at first that it was her. Then he said, who touched me? And she said, Lord, it was me. And he said, woman, your faith has made you well. Jesus was anointed. Everybody was touching the anointing. But one woman received, and that power, that anointing went towards her because of her faith. You can have a trailer hitch... A ball on the back of your truck that's like the anointing. But somebody's got to have something that will clamp onto that ball. And your faith grabs onto what God's already promised. Now here's what people have a problem with. So I'm just going to be honest with you today. Today is an honesty day, all right? Except for the part where I was going to tell you what I did wrong and I deflected it to my wife. That's not honest. (laughs) She had a better story than me, okay? I'll be honest with you. A lot of people have the issue... Uh, They have a problem with us saying that uh, it takes faith because then the question comes up, why didn't this person get healed? Are you telling me it was because I didn't have enough faith? And my answer is, no, who do you think I am? I can't tell you. I don't know. Do I look like God? And, and the answer is, no, you don't look like God. I can't tell you why that didn't happen here. I can't tell you why it didn't happen there because it might be none of my business. 
I've never heard anyone who walks in a healing anointing, who's, been, who's seen people healed in their meetings. I've never heard of any of them say, if you're not healed, it's because you didn't have faith. People put those words in their mouth. Do you know what they do say? You need faith. Let me ask you a question. Can your car run without gasoline? I mean, I'm talking about if it's a gasoline-fueled car. <laughs> they don't say, well, if it's a Tesla. Okay, all right, we're in Lloydminster. You don't have a Tesla. <laughs> Can a gasoline-powered car run without gasoline? No. So if your car breaks down, do I automatically assume you don't have gas in it? No. There could be a lot of reasons your car broke down. But could it be a reason that your car broke down and you didn't have gas? Did you, is it a fair statement that your car absolutely needs gas? Yeah. Right. So here's the question. If I say you need gas for your car to run, your car will not run without gas, then don't put words in my mouth and say, well, my car broke down. Well, Pastor Jonathan's going to say it's because I didn't have enough gas. No, I don't know why your car broke down. I'm not a mechanic. But I will tell you, you need gas. I can't tell you why this happened this way or this happened that way, but I can tell you you need faith. Amen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You want to get healed? Make sure, make sure your trust is in God, not in the person. Make sure your trust is in God, not in yourself. Make sure your trust is in God, not anywhere else. My faith, my reliance is on him. That's what I need to believe. And we need to stop making theology that's based upon the fear of what if it doesn't work. That's bad theology. It's not Bible-based. It's not God-based. It's fear-based, and nothing good comes from fear. What am I going to tell somebody if it doesn't work? Here's the problem. I have heard preachers stand up and say, here's the problem with that message. What happens when it doesn't happen? What do you tell them? I'm not. That's not my job to get up and say, well, let's just stop believing the Bible because what if it doesn't work? You know what? Like I said earlier, it doesn't take any faith. It takes no faith to believe you'll eventually die. Right? It doesn't take any faith to believe in gravity that you throw something up, it'll fall down. It takes faith to believe that there is a God of miracles and he's still working today. You got to believe it. I believe it. Not just because I've seen it, but because I see it in his word. And I trust him. So listen, if your fear is, well, what if it doesn't work? Then you've already let fear control what you're doing. And you need to get fear out. Let me set you free here. You don't need to have all the answers for every question. Right? I've heard the Lord say to me at times, or at least I, pre- I believe this is what he was saying, none of your business. <laughs> Great word from the Lord. It's none of your business. There have been times I did not know why this didn't happen here and why it happened here. And sometimes it's not my business. And there's other times the Lord gave me an answer, but he didn't give it to me right away. What's our job? Believe God. Amen? Your faith made you well. Yes, ma'am. Sure. Can, can we hang? Uh, we'll have some testimonies at the end. Is that all right? Perfect. In Matthew, sorry, Mark chapter 1. Sorry, Matthew chapter 10. This is what I was trying to get to. Matthew 10. In Matthew 10... Jesus says this to the disciples. In verse 5, 
These 12, Matthew, 12, Matthew 10, verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, or proclaim, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's right here. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. Freely you've received. Freely give. Freely you've received. Now freely give. Everywhere they were meant to go to preach the kingdom, they were sent to heal the sick and cast out evil spirits because it was an indication of the kingdom. The kingdom of God undoes what the curse did. And until Jesus comes and sets up an earthly kingdom on earth, there will always be problems on this planet, right? There'll always be sick people. There'll always be poor people. There'll always be hurting people. Until Jesus returns, there will be people on the planet who are like that. But our job is to bring the kingdom with us wherever we go. He says, freely you've received, now freely give. It's important that we first believe we can freely receive so we can freely give. If you believe you had to earn your healing, you'll never give it freely to anyone else. If you believe you had to earn your salvation, you'll judge others harshly. But when you say, I have freely received, you'll be able to freely give. Amen. It goes on. And I want to show you what he says to the 70 in Luke 10. So we went to Matthew 10, Mark 10, and Luke 10. We're doing all the 10s. In Luke chapter 10, he says this. says to the 70, verse 2, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, I behold, I send you as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes. Greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to his house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you. For the laborer is worth, worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. In other words, he's saying, guys, I'm, I'm opening a door for you of somebody that's going to receive the message. Don't keep going everywhere. When you find someone, a door into the community, go to that person, stay in their house, start with that, and they'll open the door to everyone else. He says, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Isn't that awesome? Whatever city you go in, eat what they give you and heal everyone in there that's sick. And tell them the kingdom came to your city today. Are, are you getting a clue that maybe healing is part of the kingdom of God? Because everywhere they're supposed to preach it, they're supposed to heal people. Right? That's pretty dramatic. Tell them the kingdom of God is near. Tell them, of God, tell them the kingdom of God visited them today. And I want to close with this Mark chapter 16, which you know well. So we see Jesus heal people himself. We saw Jesus commission the 12. We saw Jesus commission the 70. And now we're going to see Jesus commission us. 
In Mark 16, verse 15, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. Now, who is he talking about? Let's go back in the timeline. He says, you go. He's telling his disciples, and it's more than just 12. He's got a large group of disciples at this point. Because the Bible said there were over 500 that he appeared to during that time. And he says to them, you guys go into all the world and preach the gospel. And whoever believes the message that you preach, the people that believe your message will be saved and they'll be baptized, right? Then he says, these signs will follow those that have believed. So who's he talking about? He's talking about the people that got saved when these people went out and preached the gospel. And guys... That's how you got saved. You got saved by the message of these same, these same disciples. When you opened, someone read to you from the scripture and read to you what God did. So these disciples are going out preaching the kingdom of God, preaching the gospel, and whoever believes, it says these signs will follow them that have believed. He doesn't say these signs will follow you. He doesn't say this, these signs will follow everybody in the room. He says these signs will follow the ones that have believed. So that's you. If you've believed, this is you. In verse 17, in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. We've been commissioned, guys. Now, I don't want you going out and start snake handling. Because the Bible says you shall not test the Lord your God. But you better believe that somewhere in Paul's head when a snake bites him, a deadly viper bites him in the arm and he shakes it off in the fire, you better believe somewhere in his head is echoing this verse that they'll pick up deadly snakes and will not harm them. When they're going into new cities and they... They're being told, don't drink the water here, it's not safe. But Jesus told them, wherever you go, you eat what they give you. You better believe it's going through their head. Whatever I drink, it will not harm me. You don't go out of your way and drink cyanide. Because it's the same thing. The devil tried to tempt Jesus to do that. Throw yourself off the building. Didn't God say he'd catch you? He said, it is written, you shall not test the Lord your God. So don't go out and find cyanide and see if this works. Don't go out and make a rattlesnake mad and see if this works. He's talking about in the preaching of the gospel, here's what's going to happen. But don't be afraid, I'm with you. Even if a snake bites you, you'll be all right. Even if you drink something you shouldn't have drank, you'll be all right. And you will lay hands on the sick. And those sick people are going to get better. I still believe this today. Yes, and I trust you do too. Yes, now listen, I understand there might be people in the room that are still like, this is all new to me. Well, right on. It's a good place to be. I think when it's all new to you, sometimes that's, that's the times God wants to use you the most because, I mean, you just see his grace working through you beyond your understanding. It's a beautiful thing. But if that's you and you, you, maybe you came from a background where they, where they struggled with this and they said, you know, I don't know, is that for today? Let me ask you, let me ask you, did anybody show you a place in the Bible that said Jesus isn't going to heal us anymore? 
Did anybody ever show you a place in the Bible that says, once John dies, it's all done? No. So all I'm asking you to do today is just believe Jesus. I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm asking you to believe Jesus. I want you to stand up with me.